Kia ora. Thank you for tuning into Volleyball New Zealand's coaching podcast. This episode has been dubbed Coaching for Impact and is targeted at anyone who coaches secondary school level participants. While this was pitched at a volleyball audience, this podcast is relevant to coaches of any sport. This podcast has been developed following a recent webinar for those who are more interested in listening in while on the run, in the car and so forth. In a short moment, you'll be introduced to each of the panellists who each get about 15 minutes of airtime to share what they learned during a Sport New Zealand initiative, Coaching for Impact, and how, how those learnings positively influence their coaching practice. Throughout this podcast, you will learn about what makes a good coach, how to have courageous conversations with parents and players, so forth. You will hear about the importance of making connections and building relationships with our rangatahi, about the red brain and the green brain, some really interesting stuff, about alternative ways to coach, considerations about the way we structure training and how we teach skill, with an approach called game sense and a concept called constraints-led approach, and much, much more. Enjoy listening. Tonight, the process, a little bit different to the last webinar for those who attended, we are going panel style. So there's going to be some introductions shortly. Um, then I'm going to have a discussion with the panel. It's going to be quite conversational. Um, talking about a raft of things. If you have a question, fire it into the chat and I can ask the panel during or after the entire panel discussion as there will be a chance right at the end for a little bit of a QA. and a Some introductions really quickly and these people can wave when I touch base on them. So Amanda Asada as host. Um, she's just below me on my screen. Um, Amanda is the events lead at BNZ. Most of you will know her. Um, Amanda's role this evening is to support in the background, chat function, questions, comments, etc., and let people in and out of the call when and where required. Um, myself, Sean Matthews, um, I recognize a lot of names on the call. Good to see a lot of you. I am the Coach Development Manager with Volleyball New Zealand. Um, my background and passion is with coaching hockey. Uh, I've coached school level, club sides, regional groups, and national teams. Um, as of now, I coach a high school girls team. Uh, we had our first training session tonight, which I, I was very messy. Um, I, I maybe went too messy to start with. <laughs> My role this evening, I am the facilitator and I will guide conversation. Um, I may chime in from time to time with my input, um, but I'm more excited to hear from the panelists who are Alyssa Johnson. Give us a wave. Uh, Alyssa is originally based from the United States. Uh, she has coached volleyball at various levels currently coaches a senior girls secondary school team. Brianna Booth giving us a wave, coaches secondary school boys, uh, is an, was an official at last year's National Volleyball League and is a player herself. So is, does, does everything in the volleyball system, which is cool. Natalia Taylor gives us a wave from the Hawks Bay, currently resides in the Manawatu. Natalia has coached Tamariki, junior senior high school teams and IPC representatives. Natalia is also a player coach for her club side. Uh, Andy Rogers, give us, give us a wave. Nice. I can see you on my screen there in your Under Armour top. Andy is a national sport development consultant at Sport New Zealand and leads coach development. Andy was a lead trainer of the International Coach Developer Academy in Japan that ran from 2015 to 2020 and currently sits on the board of the International Council Coaching Excellence. I think I got that right. <laughs> So that was a bit of a tongue twister. Andy's coaching background is in tennis, where he coached professionally for 20 years across community and high-performance environments. Before we start with the nitty-gritty, I want to highlight how this webinar came about. 
each of the panelists tonight have had the opportunity to be part of Sport New Zealand's Coaching for Impact program. As I've met with each of the panelists since starting my role, they have all spoken highly about the impact that Coaching for Impact program has had on their coaching practice. And I just thought, gosh, we need to share this with the community. They've all had a great experience on the program. They've learned some stuff. And we want to share that with more people so that everyone benefits from it. With that in mind, I'm going to start with Andy Rogers and going to ask you real quickly, quick and easy, can you provide some insight for those on the call around the Coaching for Impact program, the process, the purpose, so we just get some context? Yeah, kia ora, everyone. And um, Sean, can I just start by acknowledging everyone that's joined us tonight? I think it's um, awesome to, to hear that there were over 70 registrations and, and just acknowledge people for giving up their time. We know how busy community uh, coaches are and how time poor uh, they often are. So to have such a good group join tonight um, is, is really awesome. So well done to everyone. Um, short answer, Coaching for Impact fell out of Sport New Zealand strategy, really. Um, we've got a, a four-year strategy, and one of the key initiatives of that strategy was, um, was Rangatahi, the area of Rangatahi. And um, uh, we know from, from talking to young people that they were looking for uh, better quality environments through sport and, and physical activity. And one of those areas that they identified was in and around coaching. So it was really our first attempt uh, from, a, I guess, a government agency like Sport New Zealand to get down into the community level and support coaches. So it was targeted at secondary school coaches. It was open to the country. We had uh, somewhere close to 400 applications come in from all sorts of sports. I think 40, more than 40 sports applied. We had 60 spots available. Um, so we went through a process to narrow that down, ended up with 60, 60 coaches from 21 sports. Uh, in essence, I guess you always go to what were we trying to achieve when we set out? It was a two-year pilot program. Um, I guess our number one objective was to bring together a community of coaches and start to build a network so that coaches were supporting each other and, and ultimately uh, work with those coaches so that they become positive influences in, in the environments they're working in. And I guess to, um, if you said, has the program been a success? Well, tonight would be evidence of that. You know, you've got three wonderful um, women leaders on, on the panel tonight that are going to share their experiences, and, and that's exactly what we set out to do. So, look, I, I won't go much further than that. Um, we'll, we've got some videos to share in, in a couple of weeks. We'll come out to tell, tell the participant story a little bit more. But in essence, it was a blended learning program. It was... Um, it was driven by uh, selecting coaches from all calibers. So we had, you know, top team coaches at secondary school. We had division three coaches at secondary school. It was, um, it was a mix of residential camps, online uh, learning workshops, mentoring support. And I can actually see uh, names here tonight that provided some mentoring support. So um, big call out to Bevan there. And um and really just challenge coaches on, on a learning journey uh, around understanding themselves, understanding the environment that they're working in, and then starting to think about how they might influence the, the system they're in. So the, the journey we took them through was a, a bit of self-discovery, know yourself, um, be clear about that, 
uh, know the people that are in your immediate circle. So your athletes, your parents, your, your club, and then know the people or the systems that you could start to influence um, positive change in, in your environments. So yeah, without um, going on, harping on too much, that's probably a, a, a an overview, I guess. Um, some may be thinking, what did we do? There was no set curriculum. So we worked uh, predominantly with the coaches and, and one of the first exercises we asked the 60 coaches to do was to, to describe to us what they think effective coaching looks like for secondary school coaches. Um, ironically, and probably no surprise to most of the group here that the technical tactical um, piece only came up once or twice all the other key, we narrowed it down to about 20 key themes, and they were all very much around um, what we'd call interpersonal and intrapersonal skills, you know, uh, self-reflection, self uh, leadership skills, uh, how you interact with people and, and build relationships with teams. So learning principles that, that we stuck by throughout the program, um, big piece of, was around self-reflection. And I've heard the quote before, you know, 20 years of coaching without reflection, you know, is, is uh, one year of coaching upon one year of coaching upon one year of coaching. So reflection was a huge part of the program. Uh, another part of the program was trying to develop communities of, of support and practice. And we've seen evidence of that building over the, the course of the program. And the other piece that we stayed as true as we could to was this concept of action learning is that we wanted to um, expose some coaches to a bit of information and see what landed with them. What are them to go away? And the real learning happened in, in practice. On and the hopefully, the, you know, hopefully the ladies will talk a little bit about that tonight. But the real learning didn't happen coming to the course. The real learning happened back in practice where coaches were able to go back and test in a safe environment, come back and share experiences and help, help to grow each other. So in essence, um, you know, that's, that's what Coaching for Impact was, was about. Just, just completed and really pleased to say that we're going to expand it uh, to a couple of other regions this year. So more information coming out shortly. Nice, nice little little promo drop as well, which is can't, <laughs> can't go wrong. And uh, like, I, I want to sign up for it. <laughs> and, and I think the, the value that, that we have here is that my aim, but in my role as coach developers, that that's something that I'm trying to stimulate as well. And I, and my hope is that participants on listeners on this call, they'll something will resonate with them, and they can go and implement that. And that's where they're going to get the true learning. The picking up knowledge is just the the, the small part. It's actually making sense of it and internalizing it by doing something with it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, we had look, look, one quick example. I guess we, we often talk, you know, in simple terms, coaches know stuff. So um, we, we split the group into two cohorts and we had a southern group and a northern group. And, and, and just in one group alone, I think we added up, there was something like 368 years of coaching experience within that group. So, so who are we to stand up in front of the group and tell them this is how you 100%. do it? So, so, I'd be, so it, I'd be uh, interested to know how many years of experience we're on the call right now. Exactly. Yeah. Let's throw it in the chat box. Chuck it in the chat. How how many years have you been coaching? Chuck it into the chat, and and we can add it up at the end. But that would, it, it, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think this notion of um, and that's why it's great to get into to conversation. This notion of um, of of conversation and engaging, 
you know, um, probably traditionally we've been a little bit guilty of, of coach education of information going one way. Mm. So this was very much about the concept that if we can get coaches into deeper conversation in a trusting environment, it's going to lead to much deeper learning. And, mm. and we saw some great evidence of that. And you'll hear a little bit more about that shortly. So As we go don't, keep me, don't keep me on the line too long. Oh, I've got a few the, more questions for you. And, and, and I've, got, I've got one that's just a simple question, but quite complex at the same time. What makes someone a good coach? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a good question. You know, we, are, we, we, we start the program by saying, what is coaching? You know, a definition so, of coaching. In a definition place. of coaching. So Let's go there. I, I don't know if anyone's looked up in the, in the dictionary what a definition of coaching has come from, but it's uh, the old uh, concept of horse and carriage, right? The, the coach was carriage. So um, the first thing that the coaches were exposed to is this concept that um, basically coaching is teaching and, to, and teaching is, is about relationships engaging first and foremost. So we used um, we use a couple of concepts that, you know, in this program, I, I, I know as a facilitator in the program, I know nothing about volleyball. So who am I, who am I to stand up and, and tell three experienced volleyball coaches how to coach volleyball? But what I do know a little bit about is, is engaging with young people, how people learn, um, how to build relationships, the role that, that culture plays in that as well. So we, we, we talk about in, in, in this, and I think this is in essence what good coaching is, is that first and foremost understanding that we're coaching people first. Mm. You know, we're using sport as the tool, um, as the mechanism, but essentially... We're, we're coaching people and to be able to coach people or teach people um, you've got to engage with them. Mm. And, I, and I know you asked me before uh, we started online. Yeah. You, you remember the, the quote from Wade Gilbert, who was one of the, the presenters that we brought online and Wade's done a lot of work in and around asking athletes, you know, what is it that you want from your coach? And essentially over about 15 years of research in the space has broken it down sort of into three pretty simple to understand concepts. Players want to know that coaches care about them. They want to, they want to be able to trust coaches. And uh, this is often forgotten. They actually want to get better. They want to know that coaches can help them get better. Now, getting better doesn't always mean... Um, you know, better at the sport, biking a volleyball or, yep. or sitting a volleyball, getting better could mean getting better with my relationships, could, or self-esteem, could getting better with my self-esteem, get, getting better with my goal setting. Hmm. So, so there's a lot of things. And, and how do we know as a coach, what our athletes want? And this, we've got to engage, yeah. we've got to engage them and ask them the question. Hmm. And I think that's probably one of the messages that came through with, with the coaching group is we need to engage with our young people a lot more and ask questions nice. around what are you striving for? What do you want to achieve and how can I help you get there? Nice. And, and understanding them. And I, I was, I read something somewhere about, you know, you know, success used to be a performance outcome, like win, yeah. win loss ratio or, you know, player development or a positive psychological response, like improve self-esteem, improve confidence. Now, Effective coaching is both. Yeah. That we're improving some element of performance. I'm helping make them better as from a sport perspective, but I'm also 
we're, we're looking at personal attributes as well that we're looking to develop. Very cool. And uh, you, you mentioned um, Wade Gilbert before, and for those who, who haven't, um, do, do some digging and, and find a little bit about Wade Gilbert. Um, it is fantastic. And interestingly, I've spent a lot of time reading a lot of stuff from Wade Gilbert, mm. from some articles and so forth. And then I listened to him and I was like, wow, I've, I feel like I've been interpreting this wrong the whole time. So it's, it's great to just get different perspectives through reading yeah. and, and, and visually and kinesthetically. And you talk about different ways to learn and so forth. Hey, I'm going to jump into my next question because you, you talked about sure. Wade and you, you wrote a, a blog recently or maybe not so recently on the Balance is Better website um, regarding quality experiences for young people in sport. You highlighted some tips and, and there was one aspect you talked about designing sessions and activities that promote a learning environment focused on this concept of the four C's. Do you, can you share a little bit about what the four C's are? Yeah, look, um, I, I think one of the other coaches is going to talk a little bit about this as well. So don't, I don't want to steal their thunder too much, but essentially, um, again, through, through Wade's work and, and work of others, is this concept falling out of um, youth development um, uh, around the four C's? There's five C's, and now I've seen seven C's. So <laughs> Wade, um, Wade talks about the four C's um, being competence, confidence, connection, and character. And um, in essence, again, I, I, I won't go through the definitions of each, but you know, co competence is this um, this sense that I can do stuff, right? And I'm and I'm and I'm getting better at stuff. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory around uh, an internal state of confidence. You know, I want to I want to feel good about it. Um, I often say that building competence leads to increasing confidence. Yeah. So if you're helping people get better at stuff they want to get better at, it helps them to feel better about that as well. So an easy way is confidence, build confidence equals increase in confidence. Um, the connection piece is an area I think we're getting better at, better mm. and better at in this country. And, and, and I think a lot of it, um, we've got to acknowledge our improved understanding and awareness of um, particularly the Maori culture and the Pacific Island cultures that are, that are helping us understand, you know, sense of belonging, um, whanauna tanga, uh, you know, the importance of, of, of connections to, to whanau. So that, that's the sense really of, um, I'm, I feel connected to this group. There's a sense mm. of belonging for me. Yep. And coaches need to intentionally build that into their programs, mm. right? It's not how, an add-on. Yeah, how, how, and we talked about trust before. You can spend 10 years building trust and five seconds breaking, breaking it. Breaking right? it, so, yes. So the, the, this, this sense that I need to keep working on this and, and, and don't take it for granted. So how mm. you welcome people, how you acknowledge them, how, how you have a conversation that's outside of sport as well. You know, what have you been mm. up to? What's, what's hot? How's school going? That's, that all helps to build that sense of connection to a group. And then the, and then the last one is probably a hot one for me, um, is this, uh, this role that sport can play in, in building character. And, and when I ref, would talk about character, I, I talk about all those life skills that sport, if taught in a positive way, can, can help to build in, in young people. Mm. It doesn't happen. Um, we've got another great colleague, that many of the, the guests tonight would have heard speak before um, Dr. Ralph Pym, 
who's mm. um, done a lot of work in character development. We can give him guru status. Yeah, he can have guru <laughs> status. Um, you know, Ralph, Ralph would say often to us that um, it, it, it takes a leader of character to help build character mm. and a leader of character being the coach. And often we hear this quote that sport builds character. And Ralph would say, no, 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 sport doesn't build character. It reveals character. 100%, yeah. And, and it can reveal the ugliest parts of our character. But if delivered in the right way, it can build the, yeah, and nourish some really nice traits that, that mm. we can help young people. And that's for me why, that's my why. You know, that's, yeah. what, that's what I think the power of youth coaches have in, in helping to connect and help build character and build great young people mm. that go on to be great at sport if they want to be or great in business, great at school, great father, great mother, you know? So, so um, yeah, it's going to be hard to shut me up on the character piece. That's okay. Uh, I, I can, I can cut you off. Like I said, <laughs> Andy, we're done. We're moving on to the next, but no, I what, like, oh, I love it. And what I like most about the four C's is that it does, it talks about the performance side of things with competence. It talks about us improving um, but it also talks about the psychosocial elements of young people around Absolutely. confidence, competence, character. And it, so it's not just sports-specific development. It's a holistic approach to coaching, which I really love. Um, and, 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 you know, we're talking about the impact that coaches can have on young people. And like, it just uh, brings me to kudos to the people who have joined the call this evening um, who, who are able to do that for our, our rangatahi uh, in the volleyball community. And, and Andy, thank you for your time. Um, That's okay. And we appreciate no you joining. And, and no doubt people will have questions for you. And if you want to fire those questions to Andy now in the chat, we can ask them at the end. Um, and Andy might chime in at different times throughout. Or again, if we get to a Q&A piece at the end, people can chime in and go, hey, I've got a question for Andy. You know, we, we, we're lucky to have him on the call. So please make the most of him. Uh, but appreciate your time, Andy. And thank you for sharing really insightful stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do some segueing. And I'm going to segue across to you. Brianna, but that's okay. There's, there's, you've put yeah, your dinner okay. away. You've taken your glasses off here. <laughs> yeah, all set to go head. now. All set to go. Yeah. Um, and and what, I, what I like to hear is that you know, the little segue is that, you know, Andy talked about this, this um, bringing coaches together and talked about, you know, creating a community of practice. And I think that, I think that may have resonated with you a little bit. So I've got a simple question to start with. As a participant on Coaching for Impact, what had the biggest impact on your coaching? What really stood out for you? To be honest, I think it was probably the connections that I was able to make with coaches. Um, often we find ourselves quite isolated. You're coaching a school team. You're in your gym by yourself. There's no one else around. You, you come up with a struggle and you're not sure kind of where to go. Um, whereas this network um, and this and and being part of this program created a network of coaches from a whole different range of sports like there were netball coaches that I talked to rugby coaches swimming coaches that did um, para para athletes um, like there were some phenomenal people and just be able to share your struggles with them and get their feedback and mm -hmm. stuff on how to solve issues that you're facing um, one particular thing that I remember was when we had our residential camp in September last year I was kind of had started my junior program with school and I was finding this one kid that was super talented and like, but was really hot and cold. And I was like, honestly, like, how can I get this kid to just be hot all the time? Yeah. 
and I was struggling so hard like I'd, I'd come up with my own ideas and I tried them and nothing worked so we and then we had this residential camp um we came together I asked them about the coach and they're like hey have, have you tried this I'm like oh I hadn't even thought about that have you tried this oh my goodness that's so obvious why didn't I think about this and just having some fresh eyes people mm. that don't anything about volleyball were able to kind of give me insights and say hey maybe there's other things going on maybe you can look into this way or whatever so that was so that was pretty cool and I went back to my own environment like did like a couple of stuff tried some stuff um and like we we got to North Islands at the end of the year and and he was successful he was great he was a great player for us and do you Uh, do you remember what some of the tips were I'm so intrigued do you I think because I was trying to focus too much on the volleyball. What can I do in the gym? But they were like, hey, okay. like, what's what's going on at home? Like, is it is it worth having a chat to the, his year level dean and see if there's something else going on? Maybe maybe he's having issues with his friends, um, mm. stuff like that. Hey, have you got in touch with the parents? Um, and like all, all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, nice. yeah, definitely, definitely a good one. Very cool. And, and you know, there, there there's research out there that indicates that coaches – like learn from a, a wide range of sources and yeah. that, you know, there's the formal learning. So it's delivered by a knowledgeable professional educator. Um, it's a course, it's an award. Then there's the non-formal, which is what kind of happens outside of the framework. Mm. It's kind of like this webinar. And then there's the, the informal, the, and I know Andy alluded to it, the reflection, the mentoring, communities of practices where coaches can share that's get a feel for what coaching really is and so do you have a comment on you know on that formal not informal what what you see as a valuable balance yeah I think there's definite benefits like there was I loved having the guest speakers come in because that was able to give me some practical oh, theories behind stuff that we were learning and all that sort of thing but Personally, from this course, the the most of the value that I got came from just yarning to other coaches, um, and a lot of that informal informal conversation because you pick up different little little tidbits. And obviously, as as Andy mentioned before, there was range of different experiences, and some people were coaching at a national level, and you'd you'd be able to have a chat with them and see how they work with things. And and they often invited. Um, coaches in so we had a hockey hockey New Zealand coach come in a rugby New Zealand coach come in and they would just come and have a yarn with us about their experience at coaching and um yeah it was so I I personally I enjoyed that and got the most out of those those informal kind of conversations but definitely still some really important learning and listening to those academics and and then you can kind of hash it out a little bit with those those take what you want out of it Nice. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And is there? Do you have any other examples of how the informal discussion with peers has had a benefit on your coaching practice? I think probably more just the when I come to an issue, I can't solve it myself. Having that network of people to come and yeah. come into. Yeah. And do you still have that network? Ah, uh, yes. So there are coaches from the program that I'm still in touch with. Um, we've got like a little Facebook Facebook group chat where we chuck some things in and I was part of the northern group um, the other two coaches here were part of the southern group so nice. unfortunately they're not in it but I think they've got something similar so cool. and then obviously there's some other coaches in my region as well which are volleyball coaches um, and we I have conversations with them all the time at, at the local comps and kind of yeah 
nice. get, get the insight from them as well. And and obviously chuck in little tidbits of my own, trying to help out when I can. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think there's a real value to having that community of practice where you can gain pers- others' perspective. Because we can, yeah. we find ourselves we can find ourselves in a silo and doing it our way and our way only. And so to see and pick up other perspectives is, is really cool. Yeah. Very nice. Awesome. And um, you mentioned the other day, you talked about um, something else you picked up during coaching for impact was around having courageous conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you want to share what you picked up and how that's had an impact on your coaching practice? Yeah. So I think, Courageous conversations was never kind of something of my strong suit, but it's inevitable you're going to have to have them. Um, it could be with athletes that you've got. It could be having a conversation with a parent. Um, just say, hey, look, your son's not performing, or, or for me, son's not performing, I'm coaching boys. Um, or it could even be the school environment or your, your regional association. Um, and so it's inevitable. You, you can't avoid them. It, no. it's, it's a part of coaching. So being able to manage them and kind of understand what it's like for the other person on the, on the receiving end of that courageous conversation was quite helpful. Mm-hmm. So in our group, we had a couple of, we had a lawyer um, and a person that worked in HR. So they kind of in their day-to-day jobs were having these courageous conversations. Mm. So they kind of chucked in some little tidbits. So for me, I think one of the things was people prefer to have those conversations face-to-face. So whether it be after a team selection, um, hey, look, you didn't make the team. I know you're probably really gutted right now, but here are some things you can work on. Like I do see potential in you. Kind of give them some ways to, some practical ways to to build on that. I Mm -hmm. think is a lot better having that conversation face-to-face rather than over an email or, yeah. over or just here's the selection list oh I don't see my name on it that sucks yeah yeah I've been blindsided and I know I know yeah. what that's like from a from an athlete's point of view as well um it's it's pretty tough when you don't get any feedback from your coach and you're like cool how do I how can I progress how can I make mm. this time or stuff like and- that and if we know, and like Andy alluded to that importance of connection and the relationship side of things, like yeah. it's a really good opportunity to strengthen that relationship. Yeah. So having those courageous conversations you talked about, doing it face-to-face, is there any other tips that you could give listeners on the call around having those courageous conversations? That- um, bit of a, this is a bit of an education thing too, but have a bit of a compliment sandwich. So <laughs> you've got to make sure rather than just going negative, 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 um, start with the positives like so hey I really love how you're committed um, like if, if you're saying that someone didn't make the team I love how you're really committed um, and really keen to give things a go and then kind of go to a negative thing unfortunately you haven't made the team this year um, but there's potential in the future if you keep working here's some here's some things that would be a would good next steps for you to improve on and expect that once they hear the negative news, the, oh, I didn't make the team or, oh, I'm starting on the bench kind of mm. conversation, um, that they're going to hear a little bit of white noise for a little bit. So yes. don't do your kind of big juicy stuff at the front because they're not probably actually going to catch they're it. They're not going to catch it afterwards. That's a really good tip. I like that. And I like, there's something I want to want to add here. Because I, I, same thing, courageous conversations I have it with players, with parents and so forth all yep. the time. And I like, I like to talk to the, the values of the team 
And I like to talk to players' actions and behaviors as opposed to singling out the person or the player. Um, And I also use a model um, that I refer to as character and performance. So my expectation of the group that I coach is, um, I'll try and draw this on my screen, but think of four quadrants. You've got one axis is character, one axis is performance. So in the top quadrant, you're performing well and your character is spot on. You're a great fit for the team and you score lots of goals for us. Um, so you're a role model. You're a leader. You're in the starting lineup. Bam. That's, that's pretty pretty simple. And then you've got, you're performing well. You char- you know, you're, you're playing well, but you're not quite a good fit for the team. So I'm going to praise you on your performance, but I'm going to challenge you on your character. The other quadrant being your performance isn't quite up to scratch, but your character's top-notch. You're a great fit for the team, and we need to have you in this environment for our culture. So again, I praise you on your character. I challenge you on your performance. Um, and I share this with the group, and I tell them, I, I really hope that people don't ever end up in that that mm. poor character, poor performance space. But if they do, it's, it's less about, I need you to perform better. It's more about, I need you to, to, to look at the values of our team and how you can improve your character and be a good fit in this environment. And then we can build the performance aspect on top of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before I move on, I know you might chime in a little bit later with some stuff that Natalia is sharing, but um, yeah, and yeah. Before, before then, is there anything else from Coaching for Impact that resonated with you that you want to I share? Think, on? Yeah, so when I first started this program, I came in, I was in a bit of a rough situation coaching wise. I was struggling. I felt like I was just battling all the time and I wasn't kind of getting any like reward or recognition for kind of the effort and the time I was putting in. Um, And then we had a conversation about the sphere of influence and we kind of talked about how you've got the kind of your circle of control to start with. So that's Mm. you, first and foremost, you can control entirely what you do and like your athletes to a point. And then there's the next one, which is the circle of influence and how you can how you can kind of grow that. And your, the aim is to try and grow that because you can actually make some changes and implement some changes. And then there's the next bigger circle, which is the circle of concern. Mm. Found myself trying to change the things and people in my um, circle of concern, which you can't control. Like there's just no, there's, they're just not able, they're not going to listen to you. I was the little dog. They were the big dogs. Nothing was going to change. Mm. And I found I spent a lot of time and energy doing that. Um, that's draining. Yeah, that's really, draining. that's really, really draining. And yeah. For everyone's benefit as well. If we think um, the circle of influence is things that you can control around, like your health or your children or problems at work. Whereas the circle of concern are things you have little or no control over national debt the weather and so forth so you feel free to put that into your own context but kind of gaining an awareness of the areas where we expend energy yeah and so we want to expend it in those areas of Mm. of influence and that had a massive impact on on your coaching because since I was like oh my goodness light bulb I'm wasting so much time and energy trying to do these things that I can't actually control so why don't I just do, why don't I put my effort into doing something I can control and trying mm. to grow that, like, sphere, like that sphere of influence and actually make some positive changes there. And since then, I think I've started to slowly, like it's, it's hard going still, mm. trying to slowly grow that circle of influence and Love make it. positive changes in my environment. So, yeah. Very, very cool. 
nice. And um, if anyone, um, I forget his name, the guy who the seven habits of someone, Covey or something. And I could share that after the call, but that little piece around sphere of influence is is a good conversation to have. And I can share a YouTube link. And then there's probably another YouTube link that's that's by a a guy that I'll share that's quite funny, um, but relates to this really nicely about how we, what we worry about and we spend energy on things we really can't control. Um, and you see it a lot in coaching, which is, which is cool. Hey, thank you for your time. Rihanna, no doubt we'll hear from you um, a little bit later in, um, in the call potentially. Um, and if uh, anyone has any questions for Brianna about anything, but in particular around that sphere of influence, you know, having courageous conversations um, and that, that, informal learning community of coaching space um feel free to ask that question in the chat we can do that um, near the end of the call thank you brianna all good and um again people throw comments into the chat their their take on some of these things and ask questions so that we can don't be shy that's how we learn guys it's how we learn (laughs) Uh, and i'm gonna find i'm gonna jump over natalia you're there you're on your phone which um which is cool um, and you and you sat there, which is which is choice. Um, and a few questions to to fire your way, um, and and I'll go with the same question that I that I asked Brianna around, you know, from coaching for impact. You know, what has had the biggest impact on your coaching? Can you maybe share some examples of how it's had a positive influence on your practice? Yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, Andy's kind of already touched base on it stolen my thunder a little but I'm sure everyone can um, understand Um, but yeah definitely for me a big thing especially coming into our first residential camp was our learning journeys that we all shared with um, each other we got into little groups with all various coaches and um, put together um, our why why we're here why we coach you know um who what when how um who's impacted your life and all of that sort of business Mm. and so that um yeah resonated with me and so I took that back to my coaching when I first started coaching reps and um yeah did that little scenario on the girls team that I had um and yeah I gave them a little bit of a homework task and Basically, it's just building those connections mm. um, and, yeah, really understanding their why and learning about the athlete themselves rather than just drilling them with technical, tactical, which is how I started. That one direction. It's, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big thing for me was, yeah, understanding everyone's journeys and, mm. like, it really hitting home and people getting emotional and you know why we're here and shout out to you Bevan that's you're one of them that was on there um on my story um but yeah just basically rather than all those um you know what makes an effective coach obviously it's all the clear concise communication you know having fun respect um team culture building management skills and all of that um, but it's really mainly about the athlete. Uh, about, oh, well, the person who, the, who is the athlete. Yes, 100%. And, um, and I, I love it. I think this is, this is super cool. And a question that I will often ask a group that welcome, anyone's welcome to steal this is, if you weren't here, what would you miss the most? 
So if you weren't in this group, in this team, what would you miss the most? And I did this with a, an adult men's club team who, um, you know, we're here to win premier competitions and stuff. Like that's what we were there to do. And every one of them, except for one, came back spending time with my mates. And I, okay, well, my coaching practice is, is, is here. Like we're trying to win. We're trying to win the comp. It's, it's technical, tactical, physical. We're trying to do this. I need to change my coaching practice to meet the needs of why they're actually, why they're actually here. And so, okay, I've got a, I've got a follow-up question for you, Natalia. Yep. So what makes a good coach-athlete relationship? If you talk about like the importance of understanding the person and anyone um, in, the, in the, you can add on for Natalia after it if you want to. What, and welcome to fire into the chat if you're a listener. What does make a good coach-athlete relationship? I think it's from the get-go, really, your first impression with the athlete. Um, you know, turning up to the gym, giving them a high five, a fist pump, you know, what's up, bro? Um, that sort of stuff where they start respecting you, you start respecting them. Um, and it's not just all about on-court, it's off-court as well, you know, especially at our school leagues around here. We can walk around the gym and then I'll go, oh, hey, Sam, you know, how your day? How's your day going? It's that sort of stuff, which mm. is quite key and like I really like because like you know they see you in the gym and you're just you know you're doing your job and you're doing your thing, but like just having those connections with them really is a huge thing. Um, and cool. nice, very cool. And I um, I'm going to throw some 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 more C's out to the group. I know that Andy shared the four C's. Uh, this time, I'm going to bring the three C's, um, which um, you allude to a little bit here around um, a, a strong coach-athlete relationship. Number one is closeness, and I'm happy to share this into the chat. So there needs to be an emotional connection. I, what I really like is that you, you do that with the boys that you coach. And the girls that I coach, we got a, we got a handshake, and it's super lame, but it's a sense of belonging it's a slap, a bump, and a click, and I can see them, and they see each other around school, and it's a slap, a bump, and a click, and it gives them that emotional connection to each other, which is cool. The next C is commitment. So there needs to be some form of intention to maintain the relationship. If we think like trust is important, young person that we coach needs to know that you are going to be there and that you also expect that they're going to turn up as well. So that mutual intention and desire to maintain the relationship is important and the last one is is complementarity and that's a flipping hard word to say um where where it looks at the relationship is perceived as cooperative it's not one way and i know that um Alyssa's going to touch more about that as well later on um but the three c's around closeness commitment and complementarity i think is Super important. Nice. I appreciate your insights around the importance of building relationships and making connections. And I want to go into the, the next piece that you'd want to share. Um, the other day, you and I talked about this concept of the red brain, green brain. Can you explain this concept to the listeners and share how it had an impact on your coaching? Yeah. So basically, it kind of connects in with understanding the person as well. And it it's understanding their brains and how they work pretty much. And I'm pretty sure Brie kind of touched base on it a little bit. Um, but basically, yeah, we had 
the amazing Catherine Burkett. Not sure if anyone knows of her, but she um, was our speaker at our Queenstown camp. And, yeah, so it's a little bit scientific for me. And I do have a few notes, so bear in mind if I am reading off my page. But, Go for it. Yeah, so basically people play sports for their various reasons. So, you know, fun, friends, competition, um, and getting away from social media, drugs, etc. all of that carry on. Um, and then another reason is to raise their dopamine levels, um, to have a sense of belonging and feel like, you know, they're there to have fun and get fit. and They can achieve something. They can get better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sport is a great addiction as well. And... <laughs> healthy addiction i'd yeah, say not not so much when it comes to my golf <laughs> Unhealthy. But, uh, <laughs> understanding how our these teenagers tick and roll basically mm -hmm. um so red brain is the lower section of the brain where things like survival tasks impulsive thoughts um irrational thoughts and decisions are made and a lot of selfishness so it's basically the engine room is what she referred it to. And the green brain is where all the energy is stored. Um, so it's the overriding impulses and how you plan, um, how you sequence your sessions, time management, um, being abstract and empathetic towards everyone and making logical and rational decisions. I just um, shared some of that into the chat for the listeners. <laughs> So, yeah, that's your prefrontal cortex, but obviously the brain is a lot more complex than that, which people can just Google. <laughs> um, but, yeah, basically if the red brain feels safe, then the green brain does not require any, any energy. Um, cool. If there's something that pops up within your day, like let's say – um, I'll use her example, actually. The lost key. Lose so your keys, yeah. Lose your keys, yeah. So you've gone to a cafe with your mates and, um, you know, you're having your coffee, your, your cheese scone and whatnot, getting on with your day, and you start packing up and you're about to leave and you're trying to search for your keys um, and you realise you've lost them and you, you start your My stress. My anxiety is ticking already just thinking about it. Yep. So stress, anxiety, all of those levels start raising um, and your brain automatically goes into switch off mode. It's fight or flight or mm -hmm. the mode. Um, so, yeah, you lose your keys. You're like, oh, no, and your brain instantly thinks, hypothetically, I'm going to die. If you've lost your keys, I'm going to die. So sometimes when I suppose um, you've got an athlete in your gym, um, let's say, and like Bree touched on, you know, there could be other things happening in their life behind the scenes that you're unaware about. And it's, and it's that point that you need to understand how they tick and those... What those triggers are. Triggers, yeah, what those triggers are basically. Um, and pretty much resonating with the kid and making sure they're feeling safe is the big key word. Um, and she, yeah, basically she used the word having a neuroception around, am I safe? 
um yeah, that's the part that activates the stress response with essence. Mm. Uh, and basically it's, yeah, it's scanning your brain's brain scans around and yeah, pretty much all the time you're on this continuum all day. Mm. Am I, am I not safe? Am I safe? Yeah. Am I not? And your stress levels. Yeah. Raise and, 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 and when we sense a threat, the red brain kind of overwhelms our green brain and our ability to reason. And so yeah. we're, we're, if we're coaching young people and we want them to be resilient, we need to help them improve that red brain's ability to differentiate between what's a threat to my life and yep. what's just a usual challenge. And we know that sport consistently provides us a challenge. And so we have a responsibility as coaches to help players. Okay, can we be in, can we be in a green brain state of mind? Is that, is that what is that what that means? Is that did I get that right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yep, that's pretty much the shortened version of that. <laughs> and nice. And and has it? How has it impacted your coaching? Um. So I think. Uh, yeah. Um. It's just learning and knowing, like, if when you're at your gym, and something unexpectedly pops up, like you got a kid crying in the corner, for instance, and. That their brain's triggering and your brain's triggering and you're just you don't know what's up so you need to go over make sure they feel safe mm. you need to go ask questions um and just connect really um and, yeah. and that the sense of connection it plays an important part because um relationships are a fundamental part of transitioning from red brain red brain to green brain thinking um yeah. And it's interesting that like most people like to know what's happening, right? We, we're a little bit un, like everyone on this call that the unfamiliar is, is a challenge. Um, we like to know what's happening. Um, and for some, even the unknown can be a stress trigger that ignites that kind of red brain thinking and red brain response. Mm -hmm. We also know that volleyball is unpredictable. And so as coaches, can we create a basic framework for support or, or what, what I call a primary option? And so forgive me if I get this incorrect, but when there, is it called a free ball? Is that what you guys, is that what it's called in the game? Yes, I got it right where they, it's on their third play and it's not going to be a spike. It, they're just hip shoving it over. Is that, I've got that right. And so, okay, free ball. Um, this is what our team's primary option is when that happens. Okay, this is, this is, a common understanding as a group what we are going to do in this situation what happens after that can be a bit more flexible and unpredictable we have this common understanding that helps keep us in green brain yeah nice and does anyone else uh, loving your insights Natalia does anyone else in the group chime in I know that Brianna had some had a player look at her and go miss or I don't know if they call you miss or Brianna yeah, but they call you Brianna Red brain or green brain or something. Do you need to share your story? Yeah. So I was actually, because I had, I left the training session because I was like, oh, I've got to, like, I've got a Zoom call tonight. I need to go. I need to go. So I shoot at home, went, um, went to this course, listened, and I was like, wow, this is amazing, mind blowing stuff. And then the student asked the next day at school, he was like, oh, miss, like, like, what did you learn? And so I shared kind of everything and, and I talked to him and his mate that was with him at the time. And I was like, hey, like, is there, is that something that you guys, could do like is there anything that can you feel yourself going into the into the red brain where things don't start working and these two boys just kind of sat in front of me and hmm 
yeah, I can. I actually can. Yeah. And I start shutting down and my setting doesn't work quite well. And I was like, this is exactly the same. I was thinking about this all last night. This is it. Yeah. And then I was like, have you seen that in me? And like, like when I'm coaching and they're like, yeah, because when you get into your red brain, you go real mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, cool. So let's come up with a way that we can kind of check on each other. So just Love say, it. just a little reminder. Hey, miss, stay in your green brain. Hey, bro, stay in your green brain. Um, and we've just been at a, a school exchange over the last two days. And I could see this kid just get in, getting He's into going. his brain. He was just going. He was just plummeting. And it was just a, hey, bro, stay in your green brain. Kind of made him giggle. Everything went you could, you could see visibly oh. the change in him on the court. It was it was actually phenomenal to see. Yeah, very cool. And that, that and little that, check. Yeah, and and I I often allude to this as like as a coach and for those listening on the call, mm. think of an analogy of like the oxygen mask on an airplane. You need to look after yourself first before you help others. So that ability to remain level headed and calm. And I love the example you share because the Black Sticks woman used to have a, a call when as a team, they were recognizing Red Brain and the call was Brown Bear. <laughs> and, and again, it's something kind of funny that people are like, why are they shouting out Brown Bear? Like, that's weird. Like in a full international fixture. And it was just the, okay, we need to reset back yeah. into Green Brain, which is, which yeah. is cool. Hey, love it. I appreciate you sharing as well, Brianna and Natalia, your insights there around the connection and the importance of co-athlete relationships this concept of the red brain green brain and, and how the adolescent brain works is crazy i love it i'm conscious of time i'm gonna, gonna jump in with Alyssa. um and um Alyssa, if you can come off mute and join the the panel around you know, when we caught up you told me about a couple of things that you took away from coaching for impact um it, first of all the the way to kind of structure a training session can you elaborate on, on that and, and what you did pick up and how it's transformed your coaching? I know you have some slides, so please let me know when you want me to put something up for you. Okay, but what did you pick up and how has it transformed Thanks, your coaching? Yeah, um, so I did, I had a story about red brain, green brain um, as well. Uh, but I'll maybe hold that till the end. Um, the the different ways of structuring a training session, I think were really eye-opening for me because something that the program allowed us to do is reflect on why we coach the way that we do and where those ideas come from. So I think naturally we're going to coach the way that we were coached. And if you come from a certain generation, um, then you might've come from, you know, uh, if you were coached from the generation or two above you, then, you know, they're carrying with them their experience as well. And so we're sort of just repeating this process of traditional coaching models. Um, and to me, that looks like um, being very coach driven. Mm. Uh, you know, the coach comes in with the plan. The coach comes with the answers. Um, training structures really repetitive. Um, they might say, you know, this is the outcome. This is exactly how we need to get to that outcome. And then if you don't get to that outcome, you're not, you're not on the right track. You know, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Mm -hmm. And you know, pretty clearly whether you're in the right way or the wrong way. And yeah. I think because of that, it means that um, skills are the focus first and then the outcome or application comes later. So that's sort of like the traditional model. And I didn't realize that that's exactly what I was replicating in gotcha. the gym with my yeah. athletes, because that's how I was coached as a teenager. 
<laughs> um, and I think there was, you know, and I didn't even realize it was across across sports as well. You know, you come into the gym, you warm up with some balls. There might be some a bit of running, some stretching. Um, you know, you're gonna do some pepper, something in small groups. It's gonna be skill based, and then some simplistic drills, focusing on one or two skills, and then maybe at the end you're gonna do something game like. Right? But so, <laughs> usually only if you only if realize... you advanced and completed. Right. And I, when they were saying this, and it wasn't even a volleyball coach who was saying this, I was like, okay, I feel targeted. Like that's, <laughs> that's what my trainings are like. Um, <laughs> and I had to sort of step back. But then alongside the questioning also came the strategies. So one of the strategies that they talked about in the program was something called game sense coaching. And I was like, oh, you know, here's a buzzword. Like, is it actually going to work? Um, but essentially, if the traditional approach is the skill first and then the application, game sense is like the opposite. So it's mm -hmm. introduced what to do first and then how to do it afterwards. And to me, it also means that the players are interested because they get to do the outcome rather than listen to you talk about the outcome for too long. Um, they just get to get into it. But it's uncomfortable as a coach because it's not linear. Like, to me, you know, and especially being a secondary school teacher, I'm like, this is a scaffolding process. Like, just go with it, guys. You know, I'll take, I'll take you with yeah. me, sort of thing. But this is the opposite where I'm just like, let's just chuck you in the deep end and it may not work, um, which is an uncomfortable space. And then um, we'll fix it together, um, which is cool. And what something that really stood out to me about GameSense is the study that, um, that was part of GameSense was where someone came to a rugby training and they tracked athletes and the distance between how long it took for an athlete to touch a rugby ball. So how long are they standing in lines essentially? And then over the course of a training, so say for example, I think the athlete they were tracking uh, was like 80 seconds between touches in a drill. And so then if that's what the, how the training is structured over an hour or two hours, how many times are they actually touching a ball? Mm. And so we know that in ball handling drills, the more you touch the ball, the better you're gonna get but are the structure of our trainings actually going to bring about that outcome? So that, that actually, that, that was triggering for me too, because in volleyball, you know, like hitting lines. So there's one person at the front waiting to be um, set to who's going to practice their hitting. And there's four or five people sometimes standing behind them waiting for a ball. How long are they waiting? Right. And mm. am I wasting their time? They're not touching the ball. So how do I increase all of that? So, um, so I just did want to go through the process of game since um, on a slide, if that's okay, just because when I heard it, I was sort of overwhelmed by the concept. And now that I put it into practice, I feel better about it. hundred percent happy to do that. <laughs> so, Just want to let you know that oh. um, your um, bandwidth is quite low. Everyone can still hear you, but there's a bit of a delay between oh. you and I. It's okay. okay. It's okay. There's a delay between you and I. I'll get the slides up while I'm bringing up the slides. Um, I just wanted to share, I, I'm quite similar in that regard. I used to coach exactly the same way. And, you know, this, this came about for me as well. Um, what, I, what I like to do in session design is create a scenario that exaggerates a component of the game, whether it's technically, tactically, physically. And, and it can be pretty messy at times. The session I ran tonight was really messy. <laughs> um, and then break the activity down to work on a specific component. The players can then identify what we need to develop why we need to and they tend to be more motivated to work on it because they can then appreciate that it'll give an advantage to them when they return to the activity mm. um, as opposed to going we need the skill before we can compete in the game we go actually game 
exaggerate the skill, work on the skill, bring it back into the game. Um, let me bring up this. It looks like your um, your bandwidth is is awesome again. So there you go. There's your slide. If you want to talk cool. through game sense. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Sean. Um, so again, essentially the way that you would structure it. So this isn't on the slide, but um, you're going you're going to come up with a game first, and you're going to start with that rather than thinking about um, individual skills or techniques that you want to work on in the buildup of a drill, you might just start the game first. And hopefully that game is something that's going to bring several skills or techniques together. Um, and uh, then the second bullet point is the thing that's the most uncomfortable. So preparing <laughs> for it to fail. Um, because your assumption or my assumption going into it is that they're lacking a key skill. And actually that's a benefit to game sense mm. because after it doesn't work, See, in previous times, I would be like, oh, no, I have to have all the answers. This drill didn't work. How do I fix this on the spot? I don't want them to think I don't know what I'm doing. Right. But instead, it doesn't work. And then the group comes together and I might um, ask some open ended questions and ask them why they think it's not working. What are the key skills that we're missing here? What techniques do we need to work on? And then they identify them almost always um, or they might require some more questioning. But it means instantly there's buy in from from them to work it's on those their idea. It's their yeah. idea. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. We absolutely should be working on our passing, you know, like fantastic. I'm so glad you came up with that. Um, yeah. But um, then you go away and you work on those skills. And then mm. when you return to the game, hopefully it's improved the outcome. Yeah. So um, I just thought a practical example of something I've done in a training that's volleyball related is um, something like peppering isn't actually game-like. It doesn't bring about the same skills as um, what you would do in an actual volleyball game. And so just recently, I started having my players warm up in teams of two or three against other teams of two or three, but splitting the court in half. So okay. you can have, and it's really flexible for the numbers that you have in the gym as well. Um, but essentially the rules of the, of the game, the game is to keep the ball in play and for each side to have three contacts. So then you just sort of allow the drill to run um, and hopefully there's some ball control, um, but then we'll pull it together and say, you know, are there any skills here that we aren't using? Um, and then they themselves identified that trying to keep the ball in play meant that they were avoiding things like down balls or harder spikes, uh -huh. right? And so they can identify, and then I might ask something like, what are the downsides to that choice? And they'll say, well, we aren't warming up our shoulders. We're not challenging ourselves to defend. We're not working on, you know, our footwork or that sort of thing because we have plenty of time to react to the ball. And then I might say something like, well, what can we do to fix that? Because the idea is that it all needs to be their idea. So <laughs> they'll say, uh, well, maybe we should add an overarm swing. Um, maybe we could start with like a down ball or a roll shot or something just to get used to it. And then if it goes okay, we could crank it up, you know, to full spikes, that sort of thing. And so we play the drill again and implement their ideas. But the idea is that, you know, they've identified the gaps in their own training mm. and that they can identify what the key skills of the game are because none of those things came from me. Like I could have talked for minutes upon minutes about and, and think about this. And, right, exactly. Yep. And they're totally zoned out because they've got other things on their mind. But also they're challenging themselves to increase the intensity rather than that, come on guys, you know, give it some mm. more effort. Um, and they the can reflect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so if the we, motivation if, comes from them. Yeah, and if and if we go back to red brain, green brain, like we're thinking resilience, we're thinking self reliance. Like 
the end of the day, like we're not the ones playing the game. They are. And if we can build mm-hmm. these skills through the way we structure training, that's that's super exciting. Love that. Is there anything else you want to add around game sense? Or you have- um, I think that well, game sense sort of leads similarly onto um what we're gonna talk about next, I know, but just Perfect. the yeah. idea that um not to be afraid to shake up what trainings are. And I think when we have athletes who have been playing volleyball for a long time, they may be used to, or have been coached by coaches who run a training in that traditional fashion. And so Mm. coming to a a game sense led training or a non-linear training where the coach isn't, doesn't have all the answers and is asking them to, to reflect and be part of the planning and discussion um, can be an un- uncomfortable space for everybody. Yes. You know, what are they going to think about me if they come to my training? It'll be quite different to that. Mm. Um, but I think really it leads really well into what Natalia was talking about in terms of what's the environment that we're creating for athletes. hundred You know, where they feel like seen and valued and all those sorts of things. And in order to create that environment, it can't all be about me as the coach, which is and uncomfortable. I, and <laughs> I definitely. And, and it will look messy at times as well. And being like comfortable with the chaos, like I would, organized chaos. And one thing that, I, that I've picked up recently with regard to this is that traditionally people aren't coached this way. The school system doesn't potentially teach them this way in, in the way that they do maths and English and so forth. That's another conversation. But it's unfamiliar as well for the participant to, oh, I'm being asked a question, or oh, I'm, I'm being made to think for myself. Uh, and so actually, we need to take the learner on a journey here as well, as opposed to, this might my opinion as opposed to really throwing them right in the deep end like can we build to this give them the tools to be able to do this i think is important as opposed to scaring the living daylights out of them (laughs) (laughs) very cool and hey um you you alluded to the next piece that you'd like to talk about about around this concept of constraints-led approach um, which is uh, I'm conscious of time and if people do need to leave at 8.15, go for it. But we might sneak to 8.20 if you've got the time for everyone. But Alyssa, share for us this concept of constraints-led approach and can you give an example of how that's played out in your coaching practice and let me know when you want me to move to the next slide. Cool, okay. Um, so constraints, uh, the constraints-led approach is sort of has some overlap with game sense in that its outcomes are similar. It's really about moving away from traditional coaching and into um, something that is supposed to challenge that direct teaching model. Um, But essentially what we work in in coaching or in any sport is variables, variables of performance. And as coaches, when we plan a training session or a drill or a game, what we need to be able to do is manipulate variables to challenge um, athletes to work on a specific skill. And I think most drills are designed this way naturally, but I think what constraints led approach does is it challenges what those constraints could possibly be. Um, you know, so there's different aspects of constraints, things like, you know, individual constraints that could be something about their physical size, but it could also be their mental skills. It could be something about, um, you know, the environment, the temperature, like make them play volleyball in the freezing cold. I don't know what that (laughs) would do, Um, but it could also, I I think most of what we do is task constraints. So things around the rules of a game or a drill, you know, the size of the court, the the amount of players, that sort of stuff. Um, But essentially thinking about the constraints in a more critical way and how you can manipulate those constraints to bring about the outcome that you want. So one example of a 
constraints led approach that I implemented um, with my team that I actually got to teach. So one of the things we did on the program was we, we taught game sense or constraints led approach, a drill with other coaches on the program. And then we got to receive Very feedback cool. from them about, um, and it was really practical, which was great. And I think all of us were absolutely nervous because of course. And some of the other peers. coaches are just, you know, super high caliber, but essentially <clears throat> I created a constraints-based drill to focus on the skill of serve receive. Mm-hmm. So they were playing six on six and they were scoring, but the scoring could only happen on serve receive, which is the opposite of normally you can only, you know, True. whoever wins the point wins the point. But in this case, you could only score if you were receiving. So that's sort of level one. And you sort of introduce that, see how it works. Cool. And then when they level up, the next constraint is, you know, you can get two points if you return that ball really strongly with a kill. Right. Because that's gotcha. ideally yep. what you want to do. So changing the mental part of defense off the serve into something more offensive. Um, and then the next constraint was more about the mental fortitude to be able to do that when the when the game got really tight. So we did the exact same rules, but started the drill 18 all playing to 25. OK. So that idea that this is a pressure point in the game, they're serving at us. How can we return as strongly as possible? turn the game over and win the, and win the game or win the set. And so the idea of identifying what those constraints were and then trying to figure out how to manipulate them in a way that the players could understand and implement. I love it. And your example of changing the, the rules where you'd, you'd earn a point for your quality of serve receive is manipulating a constraint on the task. So you've changed the rules of the game. Um, and then next one around, it's now 18 all, you're now manipulating a constraint on the individual in terms of mental pressure under them. And we can also manipulate the environment. We can make the court bigger, smaller, and so forth, mm. uh, which is really, really cool. And it, for me, it's um, what I like about this is that you're able to successfully present new information to the participant for them to uh, make a decision and then act upon that decision, as opposed to this is what you should do, this is how you should do it. It's I'm manipulating the environment um, one way or another, which presents new information to you. You then have to make your decisions and execute. I love it, it's really cool. What was really interesting about that specific drill is that the girls identified that when a pressure got tough, at that sort of third level, that if they didn't connect together, if they didn't come into the center and connect and have some sort of, you know, cheer or something, that they went flat and that the teams that were able to implement that part, then, and they did that all themselves, they realized when pressure gets tough, they have to do that. And none of that came from me. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Again, it leads back to self-reliance, empowering yeah. them. It's awesome. Hey, do you want, do you want to bring up that slide and talk through it for, for a minute? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Brett. I just had um, some finishing things just about how the impact, um, the impact a coach can have on a number of variables. So one of the ones that really stood out to me about constraints led approach is just the idea that we quite often will give tons and tons and tons of instructions um, and we'll want players to do things in the right way, you know, um, execute this movement in the right way, whatever that looks like. Um, but sometimes that doesn't work for athletes. And we, it means that um, we create athletes who are moving unnaturally for them 
which is the outcome that we want, but maybe not the mm. best outcome for them. So I remember a while ago, I was talking to Mark Doyle um, and I asked him like, Mark, when you teach hitting, how do you do that? And he said, well, I just say to them, um, if you want to hit a volleyball, you need to um, jump as high as you can, go as fast as you can and hit the ball, ball as hard as you can. Right. So that's the outcome. He's starting with the outcome. How they do that is actually irrelevant as long as they're doing it safely. And I'm thinking, holy crap, like when I teach hitting, I go, and then we, and then we, and this, and and this, and this, and this, right, exactly. (laughs) Technicality, technicality, you know? Um, Yeah. And I I found that really challenging, but completely leads into that idea that we don't need to control everything. Mm. And oftentimes the outcomes come naturally from athletes. And this is harder, isn't it? Like it's a hands-off approach. And it's, it leads into, I can be really good at asking questions to draw the knowledge. It makes itself like it's more empowering for the participant because it's their knowledge that they're generating. And sh- in short, it might require a little bit of patience and discipline as a coach, but the results that you can get from this kind of stuff. Whew. Mm, absolutely. Nice. Um, there's only a couple last things there, but essentially the idea of, of trying to increase the variability of trainings, um, which is actually the closest thing you could mimic to a real game because we can't prepare athletes for every scenario in every um, competitive situation. But the more variable we make our trainings, the better they'll be. And yeah, just giving them those tools to be able to self-assess, but you got to do that at training in order to allow them to be doing that themselves during a game. Mm. So practicing that skill as well. Yeah, cool. I was, uh, like we could talk for hours, couldn't we? We could go on, on and on and on. Yeah, 100%. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm conscious of time and, and, and the participants on, on the call. Um, what, what I'd like to do is anybody does, I'm, I'm going to close the call first and foremost. And then if anyone wants to stick around and ask questions, you're more than welcome to. Um, we'll, we'll go through that process so that people don't have to kind of linger. Um, I've, I have put a poll up for feedback. Um, and yes, one of the questions is, would you like to go and draw the Wim McCutcheon's book, which isn't out in New Zealand until October. So you're very lucky to get this bad boy. Um, so I'm going to close um, a couple of things. Um, karakia, whakamutanga, and then um, if you want to stick around and ask a question um, to anyone on the call, to one of the panelists, you're more than welcome to. Um, so just want to thank the group, the listener group for your attendance uh, and to anyone who's watching the recording, um, to anyone post my closing for asking questions, uh, adding their thoughts into the chat and so forth. Thank you especially to Alyssa, Natalia, Brianna, um, who some of you might see at secondary school nationals in a few weeks. Um, thank you for sharing your insights. I, I know it's not easy to, to, to share amongst peers and, and so forth. So kudos to you. Um, and Andy, taking time to support our volleyball tribe. Um, we appreciate your input and wisdom. Um, I am going to share a link into the chat of our New Zealand Volleyball Coaches Network on Facebook. Some of you, most of you may already be a part of that. If you aren't already, jump on that. It's a place for us to kind of connect and discuss. Um, I'll share opportunities and events, uh, things like this. Um, but uh, we, we've already alluded to the importance of that community of practice and that, that provides that opportunity for us. Karakia whakamutanga, kuamutu a mātou mahi mō tēnei pou, manakitia mai mātou katoa, mātou hoa o mātou whānau, ki aio te ki aio te moana, 
Our work is finished for this time tonight. Bless us all, our colleagues, our families. Let the land be tranquil. Let the sea be calm. 